grateful that you are here again for the opportunity to worship together this evening and to study God's Word for just a few moments. Thankful to Charles for leading those songs. Uh, he reminded me this afternoon Clayton was down to lead on the last Sunday night of the month, and uh, several of you have asked already about uh, my family, and Campbell's still a little under the weather, so they stayed home again. We hope uh, that whatever he has, a uh, kind of a stomach issue and been sick a little bit, doesn't pass around amongst all the kids, but we'd rather be safe than sorry. So they are home again this evening, but appreciate Charles stepping in at the last moment, as a lot of our men are, are keen to do and will do, and appreciate the songs that he's led so far. There's a lot of uh, good thoughts for us as we're going to think a little bit about heaven tonight, and appreciate him selecting those songs and uh, even just thinking, uh, put it, setting our minds on the right track as we think about some of these things. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 2, Colossians 3, 2, Paul would write and encourage those brethren, and he would tell them, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. If we are striving to be children of God, if we are trying to be servants of God, if we're trying to be Christ-like, then we should surely set our mind on things above. That's a lesson in and of itself. If you have heard a lesson about this passage before, you know that entails a lot of different things. We could go a lot of different ways with that. There are certainly many earthly things that require our time and attention and consume our minds that cause us anxiety and strife and troubles that, that we need to learn to set aside. Some of those things are natural. They happen and we have to deal with them. But so many times we get focused on things here upon the earth. Paul would say we need to set our mind on things above. That should be, in some ways, our first thought in the morning, our last thought in the evening, and all throughout the day. We would be thinking about things above. That's a good life practice. That's a good thing to consider. But in light of the lesson as we're talking about tonight, thinking in particular, if we are people of God, if we are servants of Christ, if we are thinking about a home in heaven and being with God for all of eternity, then we should have our minds set on things above, not just in a general sense with what we're focused on, but just in that we live each and every day for that moment, for that time when we will be able to spend all of eternity with God in heaven. The question that we're going to ask tonight, will we recognize one another in heaven? Sometimes it goes by the title of personal recognition, or will there be, will there be personal recognition in heaven is one that you probably have considered before. Maybe you've studied it. You may already know the answer. You can imagine that the answer to this is pretty much either yes or no to some extent, but we do want to think about what the Bible has to say about it. I was reading a few different things to prepare for the lesson, and one person pointed out, they said, you know, what's interesting about this is our soul's salvation is not at stake with this question. And we say that a lot. I mean, as much as I love these Sunday night lessons and I've tried to encourage you to come and, and tell you that I want to present some questions that are on our minds, things that we struggle with, that we wrestle with and we want to know, sometimes the answer is we don't know. Or maybe we do have an idea from the Bible, but ultimately it's not a, we say, salvation issue or a salvation matter. When it comes to obeying the gospel, when it comes to becoming a Christian, living faithfully, whether or not we'll recognize one another in heaven, it's kind of important to us, that's why we're going to talk about it, but our soul's salvation as, is not at stake with this question. But it is thought-provoking, and we can see if there is a biblical answer, if there's something that we can look, and we, as we think about all the pages of the Bible, and we're going to do that, if you have your notes in front of you or have an outline, you'll notice we're going to go to the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, but is there a biblical answer, something that we can find? You know, when a loved one dies, which we've all lost loved ones, and unfortunately there's a good chance that we will all still lose, lose some loved ones as long as this life continues and we are here. 
we wonder if we will see them again. Uh, people talk about that. They talk about whether or not we'll be reunited. And so kind of in connection with that then, one thing with that is, will we recognize one another? We want to be reunited. That gives us hope to consider the answer to that question, that we say, yes, we want to be reunited, but does it matter if we can't recognize one another? And you know what's interesting, what's kind of really funny is, I know you know this, uh, but it's worth pointing out as we begin that no one has actually died and gone to heaven and come back, right, to give us an, an actual answer about this. So that kind of plays into this as well. But it involves this question tonight as we begin before we get into some of the biblical examples. It involves the very essence of the human spirit. And it's important that we understand that. Contrary to a lot of misguided theories, a lot of people who teach a lot of uh, crazy ideas about how the body works or our spirit works, the human being is more than simply a body. We're more than just these, this flesh and bones. There is an element of mankind, of course, that is created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. And that carries with it a whole lot of, of wonderful, beautiful ideas. That we are created, made in the very image of God that gives us worth, that allows us to live and to, to have a, a sense of purpose, even as we talked about this morning. And yet, clearly, God is not a physical being. Right? We quoted this morning, John 4, 24, God is a spirit. We use that word sometimes and we think about, of course, with Halloween coming up, this idea of ghosts or, or spirits. But the Bible clearly says God is a spirit. So well, what does that mean? Because we're not some floating, you know, invisible or, or, you know, translucent thing you can see through the spirit. We have a body. So we are made in the image of God, yet clearly God is not a physical being. So then logic would demand that there's something within man that sort of transcend, transcends the flesh. There's something more than, than just our skin and our bones and our, our blood. And here's a very important point to begin with here. There is absolutely no evidence. There's absolutely no evidence that the spirit of a human being is altered by death. Now think about that. Let me say it again. There's absolutely no evidence that the spirit of a human being is altered by death. We absolutely understand the physical body. Unfortunately, some of us have had examples of that or lived around that. Maybe you've been around someone uh, there at the bedside as they passed away. We, we know that the physical body is changed, but there is no evidence that the spirit is altered by death. When we die, our spirit simply passes from one mode of existence into another. That's a lot to kind of think about. I think we kind of know some of that just in our minds. We, we understand it's possible, but here we begin to really try to understand because the spirit is just as conscious and just as capable of recognition as before the transition. In fact, some, some would argue that maybe the awareness of the spirit, of our spirit after death, might be enhanced because we no longer have the being held back by our, or the limitations of our flesh. So the question is appropriate. Is there recognition in heaven? And let's consider some biblical evidence this evening. First of all, from the Old Testament, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to Genesis chapter 25. I may have that wrong on the screen there. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 8. I do have that wrong, I believe there. Genesis 25 and verse number 8. When we consider some Old Testament passages, we see that concerning the father of the Hebrew nation, Moses wrote these words about Abraham. And Abraham gave up the ghost, breathed his last, and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years, and here's the key phrase, and he was gathered 
to his people. Again, that's Genesis 25 and verse number 8. He was gathered to his people. What does that mean? Uh, we've talked even recently about context. We need to understand context to try to understand a passage. Well, this, can, this simply cannot refer to the interment of his body because his body was buried in Canaan. That's where he was buried. Yet his ancestors had been entombed for, for a, a while, hundreds of miles away in distant lands in Mesopotamia. So if we're saying he's gathered to his people, it's not as if there was some processional or even as we do today. We might go ahead and put the casket in the back of the hearse and the hearse may drive some, you know, even sometimes hundreds of miles away to get to a particular cemetery where they are, quote unquote, around their people, around their family. No, his body was buried in Canaan and his ancestors would have been uh, hundreds of miles away in the area of Mesopotamia. So the expression of being gathered to his people or as it's used in some other places, of going to the fathers, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 15, going to the fathers, or gathered to his fathers in Judges chapter 2 and verse number 10. All of those phrases and those other references I gave you are constantly distinguished from being buried. That's not what we're talking about, being buried in the same plot. They denote a reunion with faithful loved ones in the state of the departed spirits. We talked about that a little while ago as well as we talked about the idea of hell in our one-word study and the different words that are used. But it seems to be a reunion with faithful loved ones in Sheol, the, the state of the departed spirits. So Abraham, in Genesis 25 and verse 8, was gathered to his people. What about Jacob? Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 35. You may recall Genesis 37 is the beginning of the great story of Joseph. And Joseph's dreams begin at the beginning of chapter 37. He is sold by his brothers toward the middle of chapter 37. And 37 concludes with the awful, awful scene of a father mourning the loss, what he believes to be, the loss of his son. It's a terrible picture when they bring that bloody coat of many colors to their father. And as was pointed out to me recently, even by a fellow preacher and a faithful brother, that, that they don't even necessarily uh, say the things to tell him that. They simply present the coat and allow him to believe what he wants to believe, to allow his mind to sort of run wild. And he certainly thinks that Joseph is dead. So when Jacob was deceived by his sons into believing that Joseph had been devoured by wild beasts, he said at the end of verse number 35 there, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. He wasn't probably, I would say we might even could, you know, surely say, he certainly was not anticipating joining Joseph in some common grave. Well, how can we say that? Joseph didn't have a grave. I mean, at that point, there's, there's no body. There's simply only this coat of many colors that has the blood all over it. So Joseph had no, no grave from the way that Jacob was viewing the situation. So I don't think he was lamenting that he was going to go to the grave, once again, kind of like with Abraham, to be buried in a physical plot with his son. But it seems like, and we're going to use that phrase a little bit tonight, whether we like it or not, it seems like, he expected to be reunited with his son in Sheol. Hence, he would have some recognition. The recognition is implied that he would go down to Sheol to my son and he would be mourning. One other Old Testament passage from 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 23. This one is familiar to us because you know that 12 follows 11. And 11 is, of course, 
David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And so some centuries later, as David loses his son in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where Nathan confronts him and presents him with that parable and says, you are the man. I joke with people sometimes today, you know, in the 21st century, that's a good thing, right? You say you're the man to somebody, that's complimenting them. Well, when Nathan said it to David, that's not the good way. You are the, the man meant that David was the one who had sinned. David was in the wrong. And so as that son becomes ill in chapter 12, in verse number 15, and of course that son is going to pass away. In verse number 23, David says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There is a particular commentator who comments, the words indicate a belief in the continued existence of the child and even that David would recognize and know him in the future world. And again, that's the words of a particular commentator, but we get the idea there. I don't think that he was, was thinking about this fact that, hey, we're going to end up maybe together in some place, but I won't be able to recognize him. Well, what does it even matter? But again, seems, seems to be that David's saying he would be able to recognize him. Let's consider the New Testament for just a few moments. The first passage is Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is giving a prophecy here. Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 8, and he's uh, talking about uh, the Gentiles. He's prophesying to the Gentiles or how the Gentiles would respond to the gospel. And he declares in verse number 11, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. So here's an intriguing question. Will the recipients of this promise realize its fulfillment? In other words, will they actually have an association with these patriarchs in heaven? And will they know those Old Testament worthies as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I think the answer is, well, surely. Surely so if Jesus is making this promise here. And if we shall know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, does it not inevitably follow that these great men, this grandfather, father, and son, would also know each other? It seems kind of, seems a little more than seems. It seems kind of like that's exactly the way that it could be there. Another passage dealing with Jesus is Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 4, with the idea of the Mount of Transfiguration. There is a, a form of argument that is used sometimes in the New Testament, uh, and it deals with reasoning and it deals with logic. And it suggests that when there are two propositions, I, I never took debate or anything. I'm not just really great at logic and all of those things like that. But, but it suggests this. Let me see if I can explain it. That when there are two similar propositions to be proved and one more difficult than the other, if the harder is demonstrated, then the first or the easier is assumed to be true. If you can prove the harder, then the easier is assumed to be true. For instance, and let's look at a few examples from Scripture uh, very quickly. If God cares for the birds, who are lesser creatures, right? Around Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus talks about these things. If God cares for the birds, then surely he will care for his people, right? If we can prove one, then, then we think about the easier is assumed to be established. Another one is, of course, uh, from Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32. If our Father has already given us his Son, will he not supply us with other gifts as well? It's kind of a bit of, of logic and reasoning here. And so some of that can take place here when we think about the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And you may recall there, of course, that as Peter, James, and John are there on the mount, in verse number 1, beginning with uh, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus led them up on high, and he was transfigured before them in verse 2. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. In verse 3, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And so Peter then speaks, as Peter often does, and says these things. Uh, Lord, if it is good for us to be here, if it is good for us to be here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Seems that there is some bit of recognition here. Now, one key point about the Mount of Transfiguration, and we're going to talk about it with our third point here from the New Testament, but that this doesn't take place in heaven. All right. One of our questions is about personal recognition in heaven. But as part of that discussion and trying to understand that, part of what we're talking about is after we die. In which case, Moses and Elijah are certainly have been dead and gone. And yet, as Peter, James, and John are, are here, there appeared Moses and Elijah who talked with the Lord. And in spite of the fact that these Old Testament saints had been de- dead and buried for centuries, the apostles clearly recognize them because of what Peter says there in verse number four. So if this context then teaches that those whom we have not personally known on earth can be recognized after death, then by our reasoning or logic we were talking about a moment ago, then surely it must imply that those whom we have known in time will be familiar to us in the future state. If they could recognize someone they've never met, it would seem to be the case that we would be able to recognize people that we did know even if they can recognize people that they did not know there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then finally, from the New Testament here of our biblical examples, we think, of course, about the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. In the narrative concerning the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus, a very important truth is emphasized, and that is that death appears to not abolish earth's memories. Do you remember the occasion there as both of these men are died? First, the rich man Saul, in verse number 23, Saul and, here's our word, recognized Lazarus. There's a personal recognition after death. Second, as we think about this story that is told here, he was challenged to remember his past. You remember that he thinks about his brothers who were left behind. And so R.C. Foster, another commentator, has observed, remember indicates the survival of personality, for it, it required the retention of memory. If we could not remember or recognize ourselves, there would be, no longer be personality, and heaven and hell would no longer have significance. And I would just say again here, again, this is not in heaven, but here the rich man could recognize Abraham, Father Abraham, as well. And so it's an interesting study as we kind of consider uh, these different passages from uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we begin to uh, finish out the lesson tonight, I'd like to share with you a couple of objections that sometimes come up. What about flesh and bones? Some people say, and it is occasionally argued or suggested, that we recognize one another only on the basis of physical features. You know, that's how we recognize people. We know that somebody has blonde hair and 
somebody's bald and somebody was a certain height and all these different physical features that we have about our bodies. And since we will not be flesh and blood in the future state, then there could be no future recognition. We know that to be the case, of course, because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 And if you want to know a lot about uh, the idea of our bodies, and we're going to talk a little bit about that here, but 1 Corinthians 15 is where you'd want to go. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 50 reminds us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we recognize that we will not have our flesh and blood in the same way. We also note from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 52, Paul says, We shall be changed. Well, here's where we're going to get down to that thing where you say, hey, preacher, what does that mean? I'm going to say, well, I'm not exactly sure. I know it says we shall be changed. To what exactly? We may not know 100%. One thing that we pointed out and that's in your notes there is 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2 where it says we shall be like him. So we know we shall be like Jesus. We understand that. What does that mean? Well, I'm not 100% for sure. But this argument, back to this argument for just a moment, that if we uh, do not have our flesh and blood, we won't have a, a personal recognition, there are a few problems. First of all, it contradicts the other passages we've already talked about. All right, it kind of There's some contradiction there if that is uh, what we've already mentioned in these previous passages. Second, it might suggest as well that we would not even be able to know God because God is a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood. He's not physical. So how will we recognize God? Well, that's something to consider. And third, it can even be true sometimes here on this earth that we, it is not true that we only recognize people because of their physical traits. Have you ever known anybody who was a blonde one day that then became a, a brown-headed lady another day or a guy who had his hair who then uh, became bald? And we won't talk about those of us who had black hair that are now turning gray, right? But that's not the only way sometimes that we recognize others. A loved one sometimes may suffer hor- a horrible tragedy. Think about someone that is burned almost beyond recognition, we say. I- I've even heard a story before to use as an illustration of a uh, a bus, a university van bus that was traveling between sporting events and uh, there was a tragic accident and one young girl was killed, one young girl was alive but horribly burned and disfigured and the families got mixed up, they, the authorities and the doctors mixed the families up and one family was with uh, the girl who had actually lost their daughter. I mean those things happen sometimes because of our physical traits having issues but at the same time some people change their body. Some people do even go through uh, physical surgery. And sometimes even though we change our hair or our body or these things, we can still know someone. It's not simply only about the flesh and blood. So those are just a a couple of arguments that kind of go along with that. But I also wanted to point out that what we do know is that we will be like Jesus. We do know that we will be changed. We do know that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what all that means exactly It may be hard to say, but it's hardly an objection that really holds water, as we say, to think about the fact that we would not be able to recognize each other after death. And then secondly, as Charles led us in the song uh, just a few moments ago, and we appreciate the thought, some people say, and here's the question or the objection, how can I be happy in heaven if my loved ones are not present? This is probably the most common concern regarding recognition after death. Someone says, if I'm going to be able to recognize people, 
then I'm going to know if my spouse or my children or my grandparents or whoever it may be are not in heaven. How could we, one, be truly happy under those circumstances? And I've used some of our brother Wayne Jackson's material. I share that with you a lot sometimes, his uh, Christian Courier website, as well as we have his New Testament commentary in our library. Um, But he points out again, as we have said several times, we may not be able to fathom everything about this particular matter, and especially from an emotional standpoint, right? Because that's what's going on here. There's emotion involved with that. Uh, Believe me, we all have people, myself included. No one is perfect and has a perfect family. We all have people that we worry about or don't know about, maybe that were faithful and then were not faithful, or people who were never faithful at all, that we wonder what will happen. However, we can kind of, again, logically think about some ways that this might be resolved. Surely no one would dare to argue that the affection of our earthly relationships can even begin to rival the love of our creator. When we think about being with God, do we need to be reminded of Romans chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 that while we were still sinners, God sent his son and Christ died for us? That is the ultimate love. And so our love for each other, even as much as we love our family pales in comparison to the divine affection that we receive from God. Yet, unquestionably, God is happy. It's pointed out in several places. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. Paul speaks of a quote-unquote happy God. So how is God happy when people are, of course, dying unfaithful or dying lost in sin? Well, that, of course, may be another sermon, another discussion as well. But we can maybe sum it up for this lesson to say if the Lord can be happy, even knowing that many of the mankind, most of the world, as we think about it, are eternally lost, then we can be confident that we can have our heartaches taken care of. God will wipe away every tear. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 4. Also, kind of in connection with this, no one will be in hell who does not deserve to be there. It's kind of hard for us to fathom and even process emotionally again, but no one will be in hell who does not deserve to be there. When we have passed from this life, we will have a much sharper view of sin and the hideous nature of rebelling against God. Those of our loved ones who find themselves lost will not appear to us in the same sympathetic light as we saw them through our, or the limitations of our earthly flesh. Yes, we may have perfect confidence that there will be many joyful reunions after we have passed through death's dark valley. And this particular article I was looking at says, May we thus press toward the goal in anticipation of the glories that will ultimately be revealed. Will we recognize one another in heaven? It seems to be the case that that is true. How does it work? Couldn't exactly tell you. I hate to leave it on that note, but that's kind of true. As much as we can do, and all we can do is just examine the passages we've looked at tonight, we can kind of continue to discuss it and think about it, but I can't tell you exactly the way it works, but I can tell you, even as we conclude this lesson, it should give us hope. It should give us hope to live faithfully and get to heaven, and as we sometimes say, to take as many people as we can with us, to teach to reach out, to help others so that we can know 
We can have loved ones who die, who pass away from this life, who have lived faithfully, and we can say with confidence that they had that hope, that they did what God asked them to do, that they were a faithful child of God. We do the same thing, and a lot of things will be taken care of. Whatever it will be like, as we think about the song that we're just about, that we're going to sing here in just a moment, whatever heaven will be like, the question is, will you be there? Can you sing, as we're about to sing in just a moment, how sweet twill be, or what joy twill be when he comes in glory by and by? As we said to start, I'm sad to say to some extent that I can't answer this 100% for sure and answer all questions. I can tell you that we can all do our best to live faithfully, that I think we can look towards a reunion, a happy reunion with those who will be there. And I am thankful to serve a God who even though he doesn't make it all 100% clear to us as mankind, as humans, we can realize that we can be with him, that we can have every tear wiped away, that there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. So let's do our best to be there. Let's do our best even in this moment to sing these words that we're about to sing with faithfulness, with encouragement, how sweet twill be to meet the Lord when he comes in glory by and by. Are you a child of God tonight? If not, why not? Don't leave with these questions in your mind, wondering what might happen. If you are a child of God, maybe you've wandered away, maybe there are struggles in your life, once again, don't walk out those doors with those questions. Don't walk out those doors with a heavy burden. The invitation is not simply mine, but it's Jesus' invitation. It's the invitation to come unto me, all ye who are, who are burdened, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's found in Jesus Christ. Whether you, you need to become a Christian and be in Christ, the salvation that's found there, or you need to come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.